Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy on Twitter and threads and everywhere else you need it at. But let's get to it. Let's break down the NFL team by team in terms of regression and trends of usage from a Dynasty perspective after 10 weeks of the 2023 season. Let's get it. Do you have the time to listen to me grind? Take down the film watchers and nerds all at once. I collected a lot of L's in week 10 as some of my assumptions about running back volume backfired. As always, I'm going to try and highlight the misses more than the hits, more often than not, so we can get more right more often in the future. Be sure to check previous episodes of this podcast or my online article that I do every week to get a better sense of the wins that we're hitting on, since a lot of them continue to pay off even if I'm not able to mention them every week. With that said, let's get into it. Arizona. They're on bye this week, but I did want to mention the big takeaway for me this week is obviously that all the off-season talk of Kyler Murray being the best buy in Dynasty Superflex leagues looks like it's going to pay off. But aside from the grandstanding on the idea I chased hard this offseason, let's also note that James Conner came back last week to the lion's share of the running back role with 63% of the snaps and 61% of the rushing attempt, as well as 40% of the red zone touches, which totals which totals four rushing attempts inside the 20-yard line. Connor finishes running back 36 on the week, but should be startable as a top 24 running back in most leagues moving forward. Outside of that, I also want to note that while Rondell Moore was heavily involved in Murray's return with 25.8% of the targets this week, second on the team to only Trey McBride, Marcus Brown also had the highest route share with 25%, and only just missed a long touchdown towards the end of the game that was slightly overthrown. Marcus Brown is once again one of the most undervalued wide receivers in Dynasty and has remained so for a while now and should score more points with his share of the routes if and when his connection with Murray warms back up. In Atlanta, Bajon Robinson is still the Dynasty running back one. This week he was given a top 12 workload, ninth in weighted opportunity, with 22 rushing attempts and 23 routes as well as four rushing attempts inside the red zone, which was once again 40% of that team's overall red zone touches inside the 20-yard line. While we wait to see what Arthur Smith feels like doing next week, note that Robinson's repeated role in the receiving game, as well as what he's capable of doing on his touches with his talent, is a real upside in fantasy in his fantasy future. And just as a random stat, based on that 23 routes he ran last week, I went and looked it up. Since 2018, only 44 running backs have had 8 games or more with 23 routes or more. The number number of games so far Bajon Robinson has had with that number of routes in his career. In that group, the highest percentage of games with that route volume is Christian McCaffrey, who has had 23 routes or more in 67% of his games since 2018. Bajon Robinson, with 8 games out of his current 10 games played, currently has that number of routes in 80% of his games in the NFL. He won't stay that high, but I just wanted a way to highlight how used he is in the receiving game. It's Christian McCaffrey level, really. Um, And as soon as his usage stabilizes week over week, he has, uh, you know, the running back one upside in Dynasty. Baltimore plays Thursday, but again, I just wanted to mention something. I want to call myself out. I mentioned Justin Hill's workload last week, especially his receiving. 
during Keontae Mitchell's breakout game last week in week nine. But this week the workloads were a lot more were a lot different than I expected, and Mitchell only had 23% of the snaps. Gus Edwards returned to take 52% of the snaps and 45% of the rushing attempts. I probably should have considered that since it's Gus Edwards last week, but especially in a tough loss that would have been theoretically ideal for the receiving back like Justin Hill, Justice Hill, that call feels like a miss. Also keep it quiet because it's still a sensitive subject for me, but Rashad Bateman once again played more snaps this week and had his highest route share of the season. This is a three-week span now. He actually ranked joint second with Mark Andrews with 18.2% of the team's routes in week 10. It only resulted in four targets for 25 yards, but there continues to be signs of life in Rashad Bateman's role on the offense. In Carolina, bad call on Bryce Young. Last week and previously, I've mentioned Bryce Young's potential as a value in Dynasty since young quarterbacks rarely lose significant value, but after a second straight bad loss, that looks a little dubious. However, I still think, and I stand by the long-term idea, even if his long-term outlook may look a little shakier this week after two straight losses, he's still likely easier, quote-unquote, to trade for now than he was two weeks ago. Overall, I don't think it's a bad idea to keep in mind that his draft capital means he's more likely to get enough playing time to put up some good games, or a stretch of them, before the end of 2024. And his value, given the number of quarterbacks losing value and getting injured this year, should be stable this offseason for building dynasty rosters looking for to hopefully capitalize on a window where Young's value increases in the future at some point. In Chicago... Taysom Bagnett brings home the Bears' third win in 2023, mostly because of the efforts of Dante Foreman, but still, worth noting, this probably doesn't help the case for the upside potential of Justin Fields to his starting role um, from an NFL perspective, at least. Foreman had 12 rushing attempts and two targets, 6.3% of the target share, if you care, um, against the eighth-best matchup for the position according to 4-4's adjusted fantasy points allowed stat. Probably a top 36 flex option, for this week, or rather the week moving forward, but it's decent volume and worth rostering for competitive teams at least. In Cleveland, Jerome Ford crushes the upside potential of Kareem Hunt, and I missed it last week. In week 9, Jerome Ford's opportunity share of both rushing attempts and targets, that's what opportunity share is, went up to 39%, 11% higher than his previous ceiling. I probably should have taken note of that, or maybe it's just hindsight, but in week 10, Kareem Hunt took a significant dip in opportunity share, 14% compared to an average of 20% over the last four weeks. He also saw a loss of targets in that he had zero targets this week. While Ford also saw a loss in targets, he went down to 3.6% in week 10 compared to his season average of 10%. It wasn't as significant since he still led in rushing attempts, and so the vol there's still some volume to trust on. In short, it looks like Cleveland's plan is to use Ford as their primary running back, for now at least, while healthy, while Hunt and the others are just competing for periphery volume on the outside, and Jerome Ford should be much more startable moving forward, and whereas the others are very, very low-down flex plays at best at this point. In Dallas, Brandon Cooks takes on a higher share of the offense in a huge 49-point win against the Giants. While Dak Prescott was handing out touchdowns to everyone except Tony Pollard, on, a, on Sunday, Brandon Cooks rose to a 22% share of the routes, which was enough to move his season-long share on a per-game basis to second on the team. However, 
I think that does more to obscure the fact that Jake Ferguson has been a very clear second option for Dallas all season, and has over 17% of the routes since week 5 in every game. This was probably just a single game result. The Giants haven't been an extraordinary matchup for wide receivers this year, ranking 6th fewest points against the position in adjusted fantasy points allowed. And outside of Tyree Kill in week 3, most top 24 finishes against them have been to players with lower ADOTs, not higher ADOTs, like we saw with Gallup and Cook in week 10. So I think it's just a one-week thing, and they should remain flex players at best. But Dallas is cooking right now. In other words, Dallas is a high-scoring team currently still bouncing back from some low touchdown regression trends earlier in the season. But week to week, CeeDee Lamb, who finished in the top 12 like everyone else at the wide receiver position on uh, Dallas this week, with 14 targets and 151 yards and a touchdown, wide receiver 2 overall. Tony Pollard and Jake Ferguson are the clear every week starts, whereas Cook and Gallup should remain mostly flex plays. In Detroit, don't panic, but Jameer Gibbs might go back to his pre-week 5 production. So the first for... Through the first four weeks of the season, my my Dallas notes were mostly reminding you all that the top 24 was a reasonable expectation for Jameer Gibbs' range of outcomes as a rookie in this offense that wants to split the work quite heavily between two running backs. After week 5 and David Montgomery's injury, Gibbs' workload spiked up over 60% of the rushing attempts along with his target share regularly over 14%. In week 10, David Montgomery returned to the field, and while both he and Gibbs finished inside the top 13, Gibbs was running back 2 overall and David Montgomery was running back 13, he also took over 38% of the rushing attempts while only returning 38% of the snap. Simply put, as he returns to full health, this backfield could, and probably will, return to the heavier split we saw earlier in the season. Again, he's getting 38% of the rushing attempts while only on the field for 38% of their snaps. As he gets on the field more, he's going to take more of those rushing attempts as he did earlier in the season. Gibbs didn't finish inside the top 12 very often when that was the case, and actually only finished inside the top 24 once through those first four or five games. In Green Bay, Romeo dubs due touchdown regression in a bad way. The lead receiver in the, on the Green Bay Packers, Romeo Dubs, with 18.7% of the route share, has scored a touchdown once every 57 yards and in three of the last four games, despite not having over 40 receiving yards in any of those games. He's also outscoring his red zone touches, despite being the lead red zone weapon outside of Aaron Jones, because Aaron Jones has an immense 47% of the touches inside the 20-yard line, and that's hard to keep up with. Dubs has 17%, which is the next best. Dubs simply can't maintain this level of scoring, and so his weekly points are not sustainable, which also isn't great because as a wide receiver 41 on the season in points per game, his weekly points are an expectation of 11.5. Jaden Reed had a great day with 84 receiving yards and a touchdown on 5 targets, but is still a distant third in routes, 14.8% of the overall routes, behind even Luke Musgrave, who is 15.8% of the team's routes. And while rookies see a drastic volume changes with good performances towards the second half of the season typically, it looks like an outlier performance right now and unlikely to repeat, so I wouldn't start starting him without, you know, him being at best a flex play. Christian Watson and Romeo Dubs are the clear lead receivers on the team in volume, and the clean and the team is also clearly without a strong lead receiver. In Houston, Dalton Schultz is another quietly good tight end in 2023. That I've forgotten to mention till now. Noah Brown finishes as wide receiver 6 in PPR scoring. 
in the absence of Nico Collins. Don Schultz has held over 18% of the team's routes since week 6, and finished in the top 12 five times since week 4. His season projects to be the tight end 18 in ADP this offseason, but for right now, he's attractive to competitive rosters. Noah Brown had an ADOT of 16.5 in week 10, that's 6 yards further down the field than his season high before this week. His slot rate also dropped from an average of 50% to 29%, as he tried to fill in a lot of the downfield work in the absence of Nico Collins. And to great effect, finishing with 18.2% of the team's routes, third behind Tank Dell and Dalton Schultz. Earning 8 targets and 172 receiving yards, Brown has been competent in a variety of backup roles as a receiver, and it's worth giving him credit for it. However, Schultz and Dell seem like the two most viable weekly options and the best dynasty values on the team right now. I was going to mention Singletary, um, cementing his control of the backfield here, but we did that last week, so I guess I'll just mention it here on the podcast instead. In Indianapolis, they are also on by, but I wanted you to notice that Jonathan Taylor finally took over 88% of the team's snaps and 16% of the routes, with a 46% share of the overall opportunity in Week 10. This pushes Zach Moss firmly into the background, and droppable in redraft formats in some cases, I'd imagine. I'd expect more of the same when they return from bye next week, so a competitive roster might have a week here where no one's thinking about Jonathan Taylor to make an offer, maybe. In Jacksonville, the Jaguars struggle in their return from their bye week. Travis Etienne ran his season-low snap share, 61%, in a game script that was off the rails in just the first few minutes, as the team committed four turnovers and went down 20 points relatively quickly. It's a disappointing week for what has been a brighter spot on the team in fantasy. They should get back on track this week, however, against Tennessee. They're a more positive receiving matchup according to adjusted fantasy points allowed, but Travis Etienne's volume alone makes him startable every week. For the Los Angeles Chargers, Quinton Johnson shows some signs of life. But don't get too excited yet. He's been trending upwards in route share. He's been trending up in route share or it's now clear he's been trending up in route share after the fact since week 4, and hasn't had less than 15% of the routes since week 7. His 14.5 points last week were mostly held up by a touchdown, or at least they're propped up by his touchdown, since he only had 4 targets and 34 receiving yards outside of that. Ultimately, watch this space, but the growing underlining role in the offense is positive, but his overall rookie season so far is still negative. For Las Vegas, Michael Meyer finishes as a tight end 9 in PPR, though an underwhelming 10.9 PPR points probably isn't exciting a lot of people. While the routes are... If you're wondering where the routes are coming from, they're actually thinning from the back end of a few different players. But it's notable that Michael Meyer's rise over the last... Over 16% of the routes in the last three weeks continues and coincides with Jacoby Myers falling below 22% in two of the last three weeks. And and it's been a steady downturn since week four, the last time Jacoby Myers had over 24% of the routes. The incredibly high share of the offense that Jacoby has had, mirroring, mirroring Devontae Adams' share of the routes almost identically, has been one of the most noticeable trends this year. But as the tight end finds his place in the NFL, it seems to be having a negative effect on the lower ADOT star's overall share of the offense, though it's still pretty strong. In Minnesota, Joshua Jobs is still good enough. The team is still passing less, however, 
and it still likely doesn't matter for your starters. This week, the team hit a new season low in passing percentage, 50.2%. Once again, the team passed enough, and Joshua Dubs was good enough, that the great weapons on the team were able to take advantage of those passing attempts when they came along. It doesn't change anything, but we track trends, and the volume in lower scoring games will at some point affect the bottom line in fantasy. But you should... You shouldn't sit any of the starters because of it. They're just all too good. And again, Joshua Dubs seems to be good enough. For the New York Giants, Fantasy World Reels as Tommy DeVito does not help the Giants players produce more fantasy points. Sarcasm is my love language. Tommy DeVito is the highest scoring fantasy player this week and could be, in a terrible situation, startable in Superflex Leagues. We likely must start Saquon Barkley and volume alone as well. But as expected, DeVito is not going to help anyone else have upside in fantasy this year. For the New York Jets, I want to be mad about Brees Hall's production this week, but instead I'm just mad Garrett Wilson won't let anyone forget he's good because I want to trade for him on building teams. That's about it. If this team can find a quarterback as good as Joshua Dobbs at some point, the window may close. Until then, I'm just always interested in that Garrett Wilson window of uh, maybe people are tired of Zach Wilson. In Pittsburgh, Jalen Warren and Najee Harris both finish inside the top 12 on top 30 volume. This is another miss for me from last week, but neither Najee Harris, I insist, which is actually unusual for him, or Jalen Warren, which is very usual for him, has the volume to back up this level of production consistently on a week-to-week basis. I guess it was nice. It showed up for me in a few best ball leagues. Cool. For the Seahawks, Jackson Smith's and Jigba has another mediocre game with above-average competition for targets. He's a strong concern for building teams and a potential buy for competitive ones. That's about where I'm at. In week 10, he had 5 targets for 53 yards and only 11% of the team's targets, but a team with DK Metcalf, who had 28% of the team's targets, and Tyler Lockett, who had 23% of the team's targets. So it still sounds fair. The The logic of why the rookie is struggling is abundantly obvious, but because we don't know what will happen in a or what would happen in a different situation, the history hamstrings us, or at least me, To consider that the narrative of why an excuse is an excuse is still an excuse. And I have to continue to ride the line of maybe, at least until something changes. In San Francisco, when Debo Samuel is healthy, he's the best receiver on the team for fantasy football. I'm not sure how many times we have to see this to believe it, but it happened again. Debo Samuel led the team as the best receiving option in fantasy football on the 14.8% of the targets, second only to Christian McCaffrey, by the way. Now, of course, George Kittle stole the show, getting 116 receiving yards compared to Samuel's 30 receiving yards, and even Brandon Ayuk had a higher ADOT, which helps him get over the receiving yard mark with 55 receiving yards versus Samuel's 30. But Samuel, as a dual-threat player, also has the upside of his rushing role, as he managed 29 rushing yards and a touchdown on those touches. All of this, of course, means good things for Brock Purdy, who finishes a QB6 in Week 10. In Tennessee, the team seems fascinated with using Tajay Spears at an above-average rate, even if it doesn't help at, at all. Strangely, playing Tajay Spears a lot more than you'd expect isn't creating a winning system in Tennessee. Derrick Henry is also still the clear lead back, with 68% of the team's rushing attempts and 40% of the touches inside the red 
zone in week 10. Just keep starting Derrick Henry. Uh, Tajay Spears' volume is going to be, you know, the proof whenever he has a good game for someone else that he emerged. But he's been doing this consistently all season and doesn't have much to show for it. In Washington, Sam Howe, a small plan for the team with a lot of needs. I was talking about Sam Howe on a podcast recently, and the thought occurred to me that Washington has two solid running backs, both Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson able to p- prove that this week, and solid receiving yards with Terry McClellan, and solid receivers with Terry McClellan, and Jahan Dotson ain't bad as a two. And he also did regress this week, by the way, but anyway. A lot of hay can be made about the potential of a team to build around a quarterback before their rookie contract is over and they have to give most of the salary cap to them. However, Sam Howe once again finishes a QB4 in Week 10 and is on a much cheaper contract having been drafted in the fifth round. I think at this point it's worth considering that the QB10 in points per game this season is currently the QB17 in this month's DLF ADP and should probably be the starter for Washington next year at least, if only to buy the team time to scout for another talent in the draft with a much cheaper player at the most expensive position so they can build out the other areas of their team. It's just a thought. Uh, Yeah, he's a QB10 in points per game, QB17 in ADP, this month's ADP, on the startup ADP, and he's probably at least going to have the job next year. Anyway, that's about it this week. If you're interested in any of my data or reading this article, you can find it on Patreon, you can find it on DLF, and my data is also pinned to my Twitter timeline. If you haven't, if you've been there before, the Google Sheet should still remember the link, so you can always go look at my weekly database and, and filter through teams to see the weekly too long didn't read tables that I'm using. Uh, to write this and record the to record this every week. Outside of that, thanks very much for listening to the Crossroads, and I will talk to you again next week. Thanks very much. Yeah. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, play run fold. So Jake on the table and Nate on the place. No, Pete and Numa, it's a placer analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got their lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye, I like mortar. Peak grinding numbers like molars, I don't know anymore. I am at a crossroads. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the place, though. Pete and Numa, it's a place they're analytical. Chicken or crow, chicken or crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and Nate on the place, though. Pete and Numa, it's a place they're analytical.